1: Well, hello, everybody. Happy Friday. It's a good day to be a San Diego Padres enthusiast. It's another edition, another episode of the Oppo on 3 podcast. Three San Diego Padres enthusiasts, zero annoying Dodgers fans on this podcast. Andy Bishop, Brian Vilvin, and Lacey Yonke bringing you every different perspective from opening day yesterday as we also head into three more games against the Diamondbacks this weekend. Lacey you were, uh, you were down at the ballpark yesterday. what was it like to be uh, at an actual regular season baseball game again and uh, obviously a, a big one on opening day
2: Oh my gosh it was so much fun. Um, I think I, I sat in the in the nosebleeds up in the you know 300 section um, but literally just being in there you could hear every you know every every person in that in that stadium cared that the Padres um, were, you know, going to be the best, one of the best teams that we've that we've seen in, in Padres history. Um, everyone had skin in the game. Everyone was cheering. Um, there was different, different, you know, chants that were heard throughout the game that I could hear from the, you know, from the nosebleeds up there. Um, getting, you know, getting beer and getting concessions was a little, was a little difficult. I think there was some troubleshooting on on that end, which I can touch upon a little bit later. But overall, there was not, I didn't see one, Diamondbacks fan, um, in that stadium, everyone was sporting the sporting the brown and gold. Um, and there was just, you know, there was so much energy for, for whatever it was 10, just 10,000, um, fans. You would not have, you would not have known that there was just 10,000 fans there. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that there was that energy carried, carried all throughout Petco.
1: Yeah. I think you could hear it on the the broadcast, whether it was on radio or TV, just the, the noise, uh, that the crowd was uh, pumping up. Uh, Brian, this this was an opening day that we probably had higher expectations than normal, uh, without a doubt. Um, that that thing escalated quickly. I think we could say that. <laughs> Padres up six one, and fifteen minutes later they're down seven six. Uh, what was your uh, experience on opening day?
0: Well, I uh, I wanted to do something a little bit special. So I went out and got uh, a burger and fries from the habit for lunch. Um, I, you know, one of the things I like to do at the ballpark uh, is eat. And normally if I'm eating lunch, like during normal times, it's, it's pretty light or, you know, just something I'm whipping up here. But because it was opening day, I wanted to uh, go out and get some, some carry out lunch, bring it home. So I got a big delicious burger and French fries and enjoyed a nice beer as I watched the game. And uh, yeah, so I just, you know, it needed to be a little bit different day. I uh, had my brown on as I was heading out into the community and a bunch of people, you know, giving me some love for being out there in the brown and gold. And um, then I put on the app and watched on Bally Sports San Diego for the first time with the new graphics, had some people texting me about the graphics, uh, kind of complaining about what the score bug looked like and the, uh, the watermark in the top corner for Valley sports. So it was definitely a different look on the broadcast. Um, but overall it was opening day. Uh, I was alone at home watching, so it was a little bit strange, but, um, you know, I could feel the energy and the, I thought the broadcast did a really nice job of showing the ballpark, showing people there. You could hear the noise. Like it was, it was really cool. I thought it was really well done production. And we've got the best broadcasters in the business, uh, watching, you know, Don Orsillo and mud grant do a game for three and a half hours as entertaining, whether the team's good or bad. So, uh, when the, the fact that the team is good and it was an exciting game, uh, it was just a perfect afternoon. So I couldn't, have, couldn't have drawn it up any better.
1: Yeah. Good stuff, man. So I, I, um, come from the perspective of listening to opening day on the radio. I was out and about running a few errands and it just was natural to, you know, kind of enjoy the day uh, and just, you know, just take it all in, you know, first year without Ted Leitner on the call. So it's uh, Tony Gwynn Jr. and Jesse Agler. I think, you know, you, if you've been a Padres fan, you know, the uh, talent that Agler has. And so it's always good to to listen to him there. Uh, So that was, that was my experience. I'm living like I'm, out back in 1927 or something like that. And I'll be wearing my Jace Tingler jersey to the Padres game tonight. So just uh, quite the character over here. Uh, okay, Lacey, so you, you're at the game. We talked in our last episode just a few days ago about, you know, a lot of the decision-making that Jace Tingler will have upon himself. He comes out when you Darvish gives up, I think it was that first home run. Right. And then, um, he, you know, the broadcasters actually like Jesse Agler was like, all right, Tingler's coming out. Darvish is gone, but he goes out there, leaves Darvish in like, so I didn't see, I don't, were there any of the other infielders out there, you know, trying to kind of, um, tell Tingler what to do or influence his mind or, uh, what was going on out there with that decision?
2: Yeah. It looked like Tingler was heading out to take the ball from, from Darvish and Machado, Tatis and Cronenworth were all on the mound with him and they chatted for a couple minutes and then he turned around and walked, walked away. And from, from the post-game interview that I read, it seems as though Tingler went out there, said a few words to Darvish and Darvish just looked right at him and was like, I got it. Um, And at that point, I think Darvish had 88 or 89 pitches um, already thrown. And I think that was around the ballpark where, you know, Tingler wanted him to be in, um, and 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 then unfortunately he, he gave up that that bomb a few pitches later, and, and then was yanked. So um, I'm not really sure what you know sort of overall decision got made there. I think Tingler might have gotten a little bit caught up in the moment. It's hard to pull you know your ace. So I think that might have influenced it a little bit. Obviously, hindsight gives us some perspective to to realize that maybe he should have made that call a little bit a little bit earlier right then. But um, you know, so, solid outing. for for Darvish and it probably just speaks to how much trust that Tingler does have um, in Darvish, which is never a disappointment, you know, game one of, of the season.
1: Yeah. And I think Brian, you gotta look to the fact that, you know, these guys, you know, didn't pitch a full season last year. You know, you're talking 11 or 12 starts instead of 28 to 30. Um, So do you think, you think we're going to be seeing that kind of stuff a, a little bit more where, you know, even an ACE is only going, four and two thirds or, or five and, you know, taking 90, 95 pitches to get there.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I was wondering how long he was going to go after, you know, he was already over 40 pitches in the second inning. So at that point it's like, okay, well he's got to have some really efficient innings to try to get through five. And, uh, when the Padres took the lead, it was just like, okay, try to get the, the 15th out, like try to get through five innings so that he can qualify for the win. Um, you know, we had a six, two lead at the time. This was before he gave up that home run that ultimately ended his afternoon. And he was it. Yeah. Right around that 90 pitch mark, like Lacey said, and he was one out away from getting out of that. And I think because it was opening day, it was his first start with the Padres, the crowd, I'm sure influenced it. Tingler just got caught up and is like, yeah, let's do this. You can get the win. And you know, if he executes a better pitch, he gets out of that inning and it's still six to two. Then he comes out, you know, after 93 pitches or whatever it is, and he's in line for the win. Instead, he gives up the home run. Uh, Tim Hill comes in, gets a ground ball that should have been an out to be out of the inning. We would have been out of the inning with a 6 4 lead. Instead, the next batter hits a home run and then follows that up with Tim Hill had a uh, vote. The catcher struck out and the third base umpire. I don't know how he said that the batter didn't go around. Uh, gave vote a second chance. The next pitch he hits over the wall to uh, make it a seven six lead. So, there was a series of events that to think that that would have happened in that situation, virtually impossible. Like while it was happening, there was no way I was thinking, well, if he leaves him in here, we're probably not even going to be leading at the end of this inning. It was like, oh, he'll probably get this one out and then he'll be in line for the win. Uh, obviously, it didn't go that way, but at the time, I thought it was the right decision. It's hey, it's opening day. This is our guy, our new guy let's let him go out there and, uh, and get out of this jam. He was close to it. Didn't get it done. But, um, for Darvish by his standards, giving up four runs and four and two thirds innings, that's about the worst we're going to see from him. Like he still pitched pretty well, but that's probably, you know, we're not going to see very many outings like that. And the Padres still won the game. So uh, it's crazy to think that, you know, that's the type of team we have where our starting pitcher can go four and two thirds, give up four runs, and we are still going to win the ball game. So I think that was encouraging as well.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the diamondbacks went a little slam Diego on, uh, on the Padres yesterday. They, that was an MLB record, um, four home runs. Uh, I think, I guess four home runs in the same inning on an opening day, never been done before, but Hey, we came back. I did, I did not know that either. Yeah, so a a W is a W. We we will certainly take it. Um, Okay, so our our homies, uh, Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado, didn't exactly have uh, great days uh, at at the plate. Uh, And then, of course, Tatis with that air um, on defense. But that's the beauty of this team is if guys like that have a bad day, you have Eric Cosner or Jake Cronenworth or Will Myers to back you up. Uh, Who who, uh, stuck out to you yesterday when you were uh, watching that game uh, in person, Lacey?
2: There was a few people that stuck out to me. I think uh, one of the bigger momentum shifters was Will Myers um, getting that that walk um, in the second inning, I believe. He saw, I think he was up against Bumgarner, and um, he had a a 3-2 count and saw six more pitches after that and sort of battled through that that walk and was able to shift the momentum, um, get a guy on, and then we sort of created and cranked out a few runs from there. Cronenworth obviously came out to play yesterday too, defensively and offensively. I think in the first inning he had a, he had an awesome diving, diving stop to his left at second um, that, you know, ended that, that first run inning for the Diamondbacks. And then he was two for two with the walk, uh, got that triple in the seventh that set up Profar nicely to get that sack fly. Um, and then obviously Hosmer had a day. I think we should just start telling Hosmer that every day is opening day because <laughs> he went three for four. I think he did the same thing last year. Last year I think he drove in a few more runs than he did this year, but three for four, um, you know, had a had a double, almost hit for the cycle, triple shy of the cycle, I think. So and he, his batting average was 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 high yesterday compared to, you know, his history with some left-handed pitching. So um, you know, those three guys kind of stuck out. To me and obviously shows, you know, Tatis and Machado combined for, you know, one for 10 and, um, they didn't do as well yesterday as maybe people were expecting and, um, you know, shows the depth of this lineup that some of these other guys can, can come in there and, and produce runs when some of their, you know, two best guys aren't, aren't having the best days at the
0: plate. The two guys that stuck out for me that we haven't mentioned yet, um, one Victor Caratini in his first game as a Padre in the catcher spot, he comes up his first at bat with the bases loaded and uh, at the time there was one out but you darvish is on deck which basically is like a free out so it's almost like i treated that situation as if there were two outs because if he doesn't get one of those runs across then the padres aren't going to score like darvish has made it very clear that he has no interest in batting so he comes up bases loaded we'll call it two outs even though there was one and he works a good at bat and then fights off a pitch for a base hit to score two runs and get the pods right back in it. That was after Lacey had talked about Will Myers drawing that walk and uh, and getting an inning going. But Caratini came up in a huge spot there. Then he comes up in his next at-bat, gets another RBI for the pods. So that's three RBIs in his first two at-bats as a Padre. And we've been, you know, for the last decade or so, we've had completely no offense from the catching position. That's why last year getting NOLA was such a big, big thing for us. Um, so to see Victor Caratini, who kind of like the forgotten guy, he's not supposed to be the offensive catcher. That's Camposano and Austin Nola. So for him to come up in a big spot like that, pick up his pitcher, give the pods an early lead. Uh, I thought that was huge. And then another at bat uh, later on in the game by Tucapita Marcano uh, drawing a walk to lead off the inning. This was right after, so this would have been the uh, bottom of the fifth. Right after the Diamondbacks had taken the 7-6 lead, Marcano comes up, gets his MLB debut at-bat, worked a count. He got squeezed on a couple of calls during the at-bat. Uh, he should have you know, seen about six balls during the at-bat. Instead, he, he draws a walk, gets all the way over, and then scores on Eric Cosmer's RBI, about 60 dribbler up the middle. Uh, that somehow got through and got Marcano in to tie the game. So that was quickly responding after the Diamondbacks scored their six runs in the top of the fifth to come back, even up the score at seven apiece. Uh, And for a rookie to show that much much poise in his debut uh, appearance, I thought that was pretty awesome. So a couple of guys there that I was not expecting to step up big on opening day that, uh, that played a big factor in this win.
1: Rolling along here on the Oppo on 3 podcast, Andy Bishop, Brian Vilvin, Lacey Yonke. In our preview episode uh, a couple days ago, we uh, hit the topic of a Padres closer, who even a, a game in, we still maybe don't have the answer, but we saw some semblance of what uh, the Padres will do in late innings when it comes to their uh, bullpen. So we saw first Keone, Kella, then Pagan, then Pomeranz, then Melanson, pretty much they all did their dang job. And so that's why there's still a debate. And, you know, any of these guys could fulfill that role. And it was reassuring on the broadcast Jesse Agler and Tony Gwynn Jr. were like, they were like, we don't really know the answer either. So I was, I was like, man, uh, that, that reassures me. We aren't so bad here on the Apo <laughs> on three Oh podcast. Yeah. Brian, after after just one game where you saw what Tingler did with those four guys, are you, are you any more convinced that, you know, maybe Melanson might be the actual closer?
0: Maybe. I mean, honestly, when we talked uh, last week, I didn't think that Melanson was going to be the guy. I thought it was going to be Pagan. Um, and it's interesting because it kind of played out like last year, uh, Kella stepping in, in the sixth inning, like obviously he wasn't here a year ago, but then in the seventh, that was when toward the end of the year, they had slotted it out where basically it was Pagan in the seventh Pomerantz in the eighth and then Rosenthal in the ninth. So then yesterday you just swap out Rosenthal for, uh, for Melanson. I didn't see that coming. Um, he was probably, either third, maybe fourth on the list of those four guys that I thought would be the closer, but he got the job done. Every one of those guys got the job done. So it's kind of like we had a closer pitching each of those four innings, and obviously the Diamondbacks didn't score a run. So, man, the bullpens of old, the the Luke Gregerson, Mike Adams, Heath Bell type uh, bullpens that the Padres have had before, we have something like that now. But before, that was the only thing we had. Um, so yeah, it it was very exciting. All those guys getting the job done and, uh, it may be Melanson's job. It may be closer by committee still. I don't know if we have enough data yet, but uh, I was surprised and extremely pleased with how that worked out.
1: Yeah. Lacey, did you, did you pick up, uh, anything on that, that topic as you were, you were at the game and watching those guys, um, any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think. Like Brian said, it might be, we might be seeing this closer by committee, at least, you know, for the first couple series, um, definitely early on in the season, because as he said, you know, there's not enough data to know which, which guy is probably going to close out the game most efficiently. But I did notice that Melanson did come out. I don't know if it was his choice or not, but he came out to Thundercat as his walk-up closing ninth inning song, which was kind of electric. A lot of people were very into that. Um, it seemed as though the stadium was was fired up to see him come out for that ninth. And, you know, he he pitched seven pitches, got some soft, soft contact on some of his fastballs. So that was exciting to see. I think, you know, it's going to be interesting as we move forward to see which kind of rotation that six, seven, eight, nine inning that Tingler chooses every game. It might be different um, game to game. So so we'll see. But but I but I liked it. I, I, I thought it was going to be Pagan in that role. Too, um, just considering his, his seasons in the past, but I, I liked Melanson there.
1: Yeah. He, he, you know, he could be the the personality for a closer with this team. You know, he walks out to the song. He's got a Jersey. That's about two sizes too big. He's <laughs> old school. You know, he doesn't give a care in the world. You know, I, I like that guy. He comes in, like you said, seven pitches, bang gol- ball games over
0: um yeah he's just wearing like standard black cleats looks like a little league kid out there everybody else has the fancy like brown and gold and he's just like no this is just i'm just here to play baseball and Mm -hmm. (laughs) be be the old guy on the team yes i love it
1: Uh, brian one other thing i want to bring up with you because i know you you tweeted something about it and you you're you're watching the game on tv so probably the best perspective for it but uh the issue of uh yesterday's uh, umpire behind the plate ted barrett uh, a few missed calls a few incorrect calls according to most uh, what were you seeing there as you were watching the game on tv
0: yeah i mean it just made me want robot umpires um and uh, it's it's kind of a tricky one too because now, watching on TV, because they have the superimposed strike zone box, like every little thing that's not perfectly in the box or that's in the box that gets called one way or the other, it really is, I guess, unfair to the umpires to have us be judging them based on us getting that, and they don't see it. Um But, yeah, he had, in the post-game analysis, there were 19 calls on taking pitches that were called incorrectly whether they were in the zone and called a ball or out of the zone and called a strike and that just can't happen that's way too many for major league baseball and it it makes such a big difference there was one of tatisa tatisa's at bats where it was a uh 1-0 count and they had just brought in this relief pitcher there were a couple guys on base and the second pitch of the at bat was way off the plate like a good six inches off the plate and it was called a strike
1: That's chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. BTW. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So now that counts 1-1 instead of 2-0. And a 2-0 count to Tatis is a huge difference maker. The next pitch was on the inside part of the plate. I may have the order mixed up, but one was inside, one was outside. And all of a sudden, you've just expanded the plate to like double its size. Because if you have to protect on the inside that much, you got to protect on the outside that much. And then the count went to 1-2. and Tatis ends up striking out during that at-bat there's two runners on. That's our biggest RBI threat. And he was looking at potentially a 2-0 or a 3-0 count. Instead, it's 1-2. He swings over the top of a pitch and uh, and he's out. So, I mean, that could have been a huge factor. If the pods lose by one run, then you look back at that at bat and you're like, wow, this was really a missed opportunity. Then Machado comes up with two outs. And uh, I don't, obviously he got out because he was over for 5. But that's the type of thing that can swing a game in one way or the other. And if you've got players and like a guy like Tommy Pham, who's got a great eye knows the strike zone, knows the plate jerks and profile. When you see those guys reacting, then, you know, there's something amiss. Um, so yeah, he just, he was having a struggle behind home plate there. And, uh, it made me yearn for the days where it's just green light or red light and, I don't know what that would look like. And maybe that would suck too. Like after we see it, we're like, Oh God, give me the umps back, but at least it would be fair. I don't know. It was rough.
1: Yeah. Definitely an interesting take there, Brian uh, Lacey being there at the game, you know, I was listening to the, the audio broadcast, so I heard plenty of booing. So it, it seemed like there was a lot of energy and and definitely the the crowd was getting into it on some of these calls from, from the ump.
2: Yeah, I think, Um, I think the crowd was, was definitely a little uh, confused after that call as well. And um, there was one other call that was controversial was, which which was Tatis's, Tatis was on first and he dove back to the bag and um, Diamondbacks catcher was so sure that, um, that he got tagged out and at least swiped his Jersey a little bit. And obviously Tatis um, pulled a, pulled a matrix move again and, and was safe on that play. But Um, again, the crowd was, was very energetic both of those times. And, um, it seems as though, you know, that that's probably going to continue, especially when games are close and, um, you know, Padres fans want wins. So I think, you know, that's going to be something to look forward to, um, the the crowd being just as energetic as at, you know, great plays as they are at some of the, some of the questionable calls that umps, umps make.
1: Yeah, I want to go right back to you, Lacey. Um, just talk to us a little bit uh, more about the the opening day experience, going back to the to the ballpark again. Um, you know, like you said, a few issues getting food and whatnot, but uh, just what was the the atmosphere like and the and the experience like as a whole?
2: Yeah, the the atmosphere was the word I would use to describe it was just electric. Um, I think some of the players in their post game interviews kept saying, you know, we kept saying this all. All, all year last year, I wish, you know, fans were here that, so that we could see that. And even to just have the, you know, 10,000 fans um, in there just to just to be at that game, I think players really appreciated it. Um, but honestly, it felt like a completely new, like energized fan base. Um, they were the loudest when Tatis got announced in that opening day roster. The, the whole stadium just blew up. And then during his um, at-bat with the bases loaded, that second at bat, everyone was chanting MVP. Um, there were in the second at bat of the game for the Padres, um, the whole stadium was saying "Let's go Padres," which is something that I, I've seen before, but not in you know just a normal regular um, at bat. And then when Will Myers went deep, uh, the whole right field stood up and, and cheered for him. So I think I think players noticed that, and I, I think that goes a long ways. And um, as far as the other the other storyline I mentioned, which was some of the, the concession stands going down. You had to order um, all your food and beer from an app on your phone, on the MLB um, ball game app. And around the third or fourth inning, the whole app shut down. So most people were waiting for their beers for two innings or so, and, um, and, I, uh, and their food as well. And I don't think that that um, system is, is going to work. So well, I think maybe a a credit a credit card only kind of situation, maybe no cash to limit contact or something, could work better. Cause um, you know people for that there was a three inning stretch there where where no food or beer, you know any snacks were coming out. So I think people were a little aggravated by that. But um, especially in a close game, you know people get fired up. So I think that that might we might see some you know some of the kinks work out as some of the games get get back. Cause obviously it's a little little rusty for some of the concession stands in there too. You know, those workers haven't been there in Petco for a whole year anyway, too. So that, that storyline might, might evolve a little bit, might improve as, as games go on. We'll see.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like I need to load up on a
0: Lita's burrito before the game tonight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, I guess we're, we're fortunate that the uh, the product on the field is so good now because I can think four or five years ago uh, in years past the, the product on the field was not worth the price of admission, but the great food and beverage options around Petco Park were. So uh, now, at least you know you got something to root for on the field. While you're I'd also, two hours uh, for a beer.
2: Yeah, I'd also say that the uh, normally you know they give out those opening day um, little fan souvenirs that aren't aren't always the best, but this year they gave out a, a hat that was pretty nice, um, pretty nicely made. So that was also a plus. I think people were, were excited that some of the, the fan giveaways are maybe being, being made with a little bit more thought, um, than years past. <laughs>
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. A few more dollars in the marketing budget these days <laughs> for the Padres. <laughs> yeah. I, you got, you guys may have seen this, but, um, I, I guess it was the UT that put out an article that the payroll this year is 180 million, one eight zero. We've come a long way from the yeah. $37 million payroll from 2011, Brian.
0: I know that's pretty wild to think about. Peter Seidler, man, credit to him guy. Uh, he stepped up and then obviously AJ Preller his, and his willingness to uh, sign these people long-term because you know, he's the one basically responsible for do these contracts work out, but. Someone's got to uh, sign the bottom of that check. And I think Peter Seidler understands the unique opportunities he's got here with this team in San Diego at this time. And it's just like the perfect collision of everything. And uh, it needs to be for the pods to get the 100 wins that I have promised. So, uh, <laughs> and we all signed off on it. So, if the Padres don't win 100 wins this year, then uh, man, we all blew it.
2: We're all going down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My man Brian
1: putting out a little. Written word today that the Padres will hit that 100 mark we talked about it in our last podcast. Also on our last podcast, we detailed my Jace Tingler jersey saga. Uh, you know, probably easier than anybody that bought us Blake Snell jersey within the last <laughs> few weeks. As he finally, at the 11th hour, got that number four that he wanted Swapped it with Will Myers. Myers is now wearing the number five. We will see Snell tonight. Um. So, but thankfully the Padres are legit, and they're like, if you bought, you know, the the Snell jersey, what was it, fourteen twenty-four? I forget what it was, but they're like, you 20, won't you won't 24. have to you won't have to pay again for another jersey. We'll just swap it out for you. Yeah. The, uh, that's awesome.
2: the line outside the Padres' story yesterday after the game with Snell Snell um, on the back with the twenty-four. People were looking to get it exchanged right after the game probably maybe oh, wow. time for tomorrow night or tonight who knows but that line was that line was pretty long people were pretty stoked to to try and get that swapped out as soon as possible it seems like
0: <laughs> i saw i saw a tweet uh the night before the season started and it said uh, ml we need to send blake snell to negotiate for the dh <laughs> based <laughs> on somehow getting that number back from myers because he seemed pretty <laughs> adamant that he was going to keep number four but then he goes out in number five and hits a Jack yesterday and, uh, has a nice little, nice little game. So maybe, maybe the number five era of Will Myers will be a, uh, another solid one. The longest tenured Padre. It's crazy to think about.
2: Someone might've have, might've have already coined it, but Cinco de Myers might be, um, a phrase that we start seeing here. Cause yesterday that home run, maybe the five serves him well.
0: I love it. That is awesome. <clears throat> Old white case, <laughs> It's
1: hard not to love Will Myers as a yep. Padres fan. He struggled for a couple of years. A lot of people wanted his head and wanted him traded, you know, last off season, And he comes back with a with a great season last year. If you if Will Myers tweets something, it's normally pretty rad because he tweets like once every two weeks. And before yesterday's game, he tweeted like a picture of himself with. <laughs> The four removed from his jersey and the number five with like kindergarten type writing um, and just, yeah, kind of a self-deprecating guy and just just such a good dude. Love him. We continue here on the Oppo on Three O podcast. Andy Bishop, Brian Vilvin, Lacey Yonke getting set for game number two uh, for the Padres taking on the Diamondbacks second game in a four game set. Blake Snell on the mound tonight for the Padres certainly a debut we've anticipated. Lacey, what are you, what are you looking for from Snell tonight?
2: Well, I think Snell is very good against the Diamondbacks in history. I think um, he's pitched against them a few times before, and Diamondbacks um, are one for twenty against him. Is a stat that I saw this morning on Twitter. So I think um, you know some, that's something I'm looking forward to is just seeing how he how he produces tonight, what he, what he does on the mound and what support number four back in the number four Jersey as well. And then also it's going to be interesting seeing him at the plate, um, to obviously coming from the American league and um, not having very many plate appearances at all. I don't think he's gotten a hit, um, in the majors yet. So it could be, um, uh, it could be interesting to see what, what he does at the plate as well as, you know, his debut in the Brown and gold for the Padres tonight.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see. um, It's hard to imagine somebody who had more, I don't know how I want to phrase this, but like more to think about over the offseason. This is a guy who was pitching in the final game of the year. It was game six of the World Series. It ended up being the final game of the season. And he felt like he got pulled early. And he's had that sitting on him. Like the last time he pitched was in the World Series he was rolling and his manager took him out of the game when he felt like he could continue going and lead his team to a world championship. So to be that close and know that you had more to give and to have that in the back of your mind throughout the entire off season and your training program and all that, like this guy has so much to prove coming to a new team, a new city, new franchise, all the expectations, like I just, I think this guy is going to absolutely shove and I am totally here for it. And I cannot wait. Um, a culmination of, you know, five, six months of buildup leading up to this, his first start since that game six of the world series. So, uh, yeah, all the build up. I mean, he may be amped up in that first inning. He may be throwing 98 miles an hour, or he may walk, you know, the first three guys and give up a handful of runs, but then he'll settle in uh, I, I just know he's going to be super amped, and uh, I I can't wait to see it. The f- Snell and Darvish, like their first starts, they're going to be a little bit different. I think they're going to settle in after that, but who knows, man? Snell might go out and throw a no hitter tonight because, as Lacey mentioned, <laughs> these Diamondbacks have never hit him well. So uh, I'm I'm fired up for it. Yeah,
1: I would love to see that. Um, it, for me, Snell's debut, I was more are more interested in than Darvish. Obviously Darvish is on opening day and you, you know, these guys, you can flip flop them one, two, they're they they're going to throw up some pretty ridiculous numbers. Um, but as you said, Brian, he, he's just got that chip on his shoulder um, coming from one league to another a new franchise where there's expectations all around. Um, so the, the light is certainly on him um, and people are expecting him to do great things. And, and I definitely expect it. We saw him have a pretty uh, impressive spring training as well. Um, So I think he's ready to roll, and I'm excited to see it tonight. All right, guys, uh, rounding things out here on the podcast. After one game, heading into the weekend, uh, anything else on your mind, Lacey, with this team? We could talk about it for days upon days, but uh, we'll we'll close it out here pretty soon. Anything else?
2: Um honestly just very excited to see you know the versatility on this on this team um in this lineup on in the roster just already in game one um that's just been a major storyline that I think most people have been interested in um all spring training as well and to see that really play play out in its truest form um yesterday was incredibly exciting and you know one win down we got 161 more games to go so um, it's going to be a long. It's going to be a marathon, um, and I think these guys are are willing to do it. And the versatility in that in that lineup is going to really help them get there. So, um, yeah, really excited for for the game tonight, and hopefully the Potters get another dub.
1: Yeah, they, they pulled yesterday's win out a tight eight to seven one. Brian, those are the type of wins you know they're going to have to to come away with to uh, maybe hit that one hundred mark.
0: Yeah, winning uh, winning one run games is hugely important, and the teams that tend to have success in close games like that are teams that are built well in the bullpen uh, like we talked about even when the Padres were bad they'd win a lot of one-run games because you have shutdown guys you don't give up very many runs after the sixth inning uh, so I think this team is built to to succeed in one-run games but I also think that they're going to win a lot of games by four or five runs because their starting pitching is that good and that deep and this offense is just unbelievable. We've got two, two offensive starters who are still currently not on the active roster in Grisham and Nola. Uh, when those guys come back, then, you know, it, it just, it keeps getting deeper and deeper. So, uh, eight runs on opening day for the pods. I think we're going to see a lot more eight run, nine run, 10 run games from them this year. Um, hundreds in reach baby. We're doing it. (laughs)
1: Bold, bold strategy, Cotton. Uh, uh, okay, just about done here on the Oppo on 3.0 podcast. You guys, you know, you're my you're my amigos. You're, this is like a therapy session for me weekly. Uh, gotta gotta <laughs> ask you one question, and I I talked to you guys about it the other day. I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, but I just so happened to have my weekend free uh, next weekend, um, and I thrown out the idea of potentially heading out to Arlington, Texas, to watch the Padres take on the Rangers. Got a little family in the area. I don't know. Lacey, should I pull the trigger?
2: I didn't see any um, any news yesterday. I knew that, obviously, some of the, the fan base getting 100% capacity at the Rangers stadium was a little, little controversial, um, but I didn't see... Any catastrophic news from that event, um, I haven't looked yet. But honestly, I think if you're smart about it and you, you feel confident about that decision, I think being in uh, the Rangers stadium after that Slam Diego uh, performance last year would be an absolutely phenomenal series to watch. Um, and if you have family out there, no better time to see family and get Padres baseball in at the same time. So I would say yes. Pull the
1: trigger. All right. Well, got I got the devil on one shoulder. Brian,
0: are you are you the same thing on the other shoulder? No, um yeah, I'm absolutely still the devil. Uh you got two devils because I think you gotta do it. Again, it's it's if you feel comfortable doing it. You've got family there, uh, you know, so if you if you feel like the trip will be safe for you, then I absolutely endorse it. And I think you should wear a slam diego shirt because the Padres have Hit a grand slam in five straight regular season games against the Rangers and uh and in a uh in a spring training game as well. So uh it's just that's the origin of Slam Diego. Uh you gotta go there, kind of rub it in. Um yeah, if you get the opportunity to do it, it's a new ballpark, you know, chance to see that place that hosted the uh the the bulk of the playoffs last year, the entire Uh, NL playoffs after the wild card round and then the world series. So a unique opportunity pods are in town. You got family. got to do it, man.
1: So I have a a t-shirt. Um, that's, you know, when Tatis did the the whole going opposite field on three Oh, uh, it says, sorry for the grand slam. Uh, so I'll happily wear that and get beat up in Arlington.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are your cousins uh, big? Can they help defend you if, uh, <laughs> if you get attacked? No, I don't think I don't know if there's any Rangers fans that would actually be upset about that. They probably would take it in stride and think that that's cool. Um, and you would not go there and be all in people's face about anything. But it would be pretty cool to uh, to wear that there and get a couple pictures.
1: Yeah, so my my cousin that's out there, it's a she's a female, and her husband actually does like jujitsu classes and fighting and stuff. So I am bringing him by my side. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Bringing the muscle. Yep. Uh, One (laughs) other thing on that matter. So I was looking at tickets at for Globe Life Park or Field or whatever it is. You can get tickets as cheap as nine dollars to go to Texas Rangers games. I think you have to purchase it day of. Most of the tickets I was looking at, you know, were kind of in the $25 to $50 range. To watch a game at Petco uh, for a single game ticket, pretty much the only thing that's available is a $40 park at the park ticket where you can't even see half of the field. So, slightly different situations for the Padres and Rangers these days. All right, guys. Well that's that's about it. I guess we'll end there. Lacey Yonke and Brian Brian Vilvin, I'm Andy Bishop. It's been a blast once again, three episodes down here on the Oppo on Three O podcast. Go Padres.